Hello, EB Online Church family. Uh, whether you're here on our campus or watching us from home or, or maybe you're on the beach on vacation, wherever you may be, thank you so much for making us part of your day. We hope that our time together encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Now, getting started today, I've got a question for you. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Now, that's a question that seems to accurately capture the mindset of so many today. I mean, if we've heard it once that we are living in a unique and unprecedented time, I mean, we've heard it a thousand times. Uh, one thing we no longer have to be told is that our life or the way that we are doing life has changed. Four months of social distancing, working from home, postponements, cancellations, and mask wearing have driven home the point that we are living in a new normal. I mean, we get it. Everything. Everything from the way we shop to the way we learn to the way we interact with others to the way we worship, everything has changed. And we had thought that by now things would just kind of be back to normal. We'd anticipated that the COVID-19 virus and its initial fears and inconveniences would, would be in our rear view and we would all be looking forward, forward to school and work and play and, and church. The assumption was that we would be back, back to normal. But it's, it's starting to dawn, I think, on us that many aspects of our lives may, may never return to normal. And let's be honest, that's pretty upsetting because normal is known, normal is predictable, normal is routine, and normal is comfortable. Normal is our favorite pair of shoes and our broken-in, just-right recliner. Normal is what we like. Normal is what brings us peace. But back in March, everything changed. And that change forced us into transition. And transitions always cause loss. And that loss of, of normal is what we find ourselves reacting to now. We grieve over what we no longer have. And that grief produces anger and anxiety, sadness and depression. You know, businesses are recognizing this grief and, and they have begun to offer mental health training to employees. Schools are preparing to provide trauma counseling to students. And churches are scrambling to offer as many connection opportunities as possible for their members. The difficulty for everyone is, well, we've never been in this situation before. So we're all asking, now what? What do we do when we don't know what to do? Last week, we announced that our church family will be transitioning to EB at Home. Instead of returning to our campus for in-person worship gatherings, we will instead enjoy online praise and study in socially distant small group settings. Our elders recognize that, that not everyone who calls East Brainerd home will be comfortable or, or willing to engage in the interaction that small group gatherings offer, and that's okay. We're a large congregation with, with varying concerns and needs. But our elders believe that EB at Home is going to be a valuable opportunity for many of our church family to regain a connection that has been lost due to our inability to regularly meet together as a church family. And we've heard from so many of you who are excited about the idea of sitting in a living room, driveway or park, zooming together and being encouraged by others who are also wondering, well, now what? Now listen, we don't have an exact date for, for a return to our in-person worship on our campus. We hope and pray that it's going to be sooner rather than later. But back in April, we tried to use our crystal ball and, and say that the first week of July would be a good target date. But that was merely wishful thinking on our part. Now we realize that, 
There are other church groups who, who have made decisions to begin in-person gatherings, and that's great for them. And we wish each faith community well as, as they try to answer the, the what now question. Our elders have simply chosen to postpone, to postpone our return as the, the number of positive COVID-19 cases in Hamilton County continue to increase. And to their credit, our elders recognize the importance of relationships during times of transition. And they are offering EB at home as a valuable instrument of connection. And we want as many of our church family as possible to join an EB at home group. EB at home will be your connection point each week to be brought deeper into a life restoring relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, leaders are going to share upcoming East Brainerd Church information with you, lead you in biblically centered group discussions, and provide a safe place for you to share with your church family. So wash your hands and wear your mask and, and be watching your email for an opportunity to sign up for EB at Home. Now I want us just to stop just for a minute and, and, and let's spend some time praying together about, about this very thing. Will you join me? Father, we have come to you often saying that times, they have changed. And because of that change, we've experienced transition. And, and Father, we've experienced loss. And, and we don't always know the best way to deal with that. And there are those in our midst who are, who are feeling angry right now. And there's anxiety and, and there's even some depression that is felt because of the fact that we just are unable to do the things that feel normal to us, the things that, that we enjoy doing. So, Father, we ask your blessing on us. We ask that, that your spirit bring us comfort and peace during this time of, of transition. And, Father, we pray specifically for EB at home and, and the opportunity that many of our church family, the opportunity that we're going to have to be able to, to be together and, and be able to, to sing with one another, to share scripture with one another, to pray for each other, and, and just to share a, bit, a little bit of our lives with each other. And we look forward to the time that we can be back in larger groups and lift up our voices and praise to you. But, Father, until that time comes, will you keep us connected Will you keep us connected through your spirit? Will you encourage us through the words and through the comfort of our brothers and sisters and remind us daily that we are not alone? And Father, help us to continue to be the, the followers of your son that you have called us to be. We thank you for the opportunity to be a part of this church family and for the impact that we still are able to have even during these unique times. Father, give us another opportunity, another day, a, a, another conversation that we can have with someone who also is struggling. May we point them to you as being the one that never changes. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Now, beyond the questions that we, we have about how we can safely meet together, Asking now what also applies to, to how we live as Jesus people during transition. Uh, what do you do when you don't know what to do? What, what do you do when your religious life is turned upside down? What do you do when how you are accustomed to worshiping, uh, evangelizing, and serving changes? You, you look around and, and see the new normal and then you say, well, now what? Well, to try and provide some answers to this question. I want us to return to some very well-worn pages in our Bible. I want us to return to an old, comfortable friend for advice on, 
on what we should be doing now. And my prayer is that we would perhaps hear and learn something that we have never, never experienced before. Now, before I tell you where we're going to go for the answers, I need to ask for you to, the extent that you can, commit to approaching our upcoming studies with fresh eyes. I mean, you know what it's like when, when you've been around something for a long time, you become so used to its presence in your life that, that you begin to take it for granted. And eventually, I mean, you don't even see it. It's that chair that's there in the corner of the room. It's the picture that's on the wall, all the clutter that's in the attic. It's the boxes that are in your garage. And, and how about this? How many of you knew that, that we have grapes on our pews? No, really, we do. We have, we have little bitty grapes sewn into the design of our pews. I mean, I've been here for 10 years and I've never noticed that until today. And, and talk about taking something for granted. How many of you guys have failed to place your Chick-fil-A nuggets box on top of your Chick-fil-A sweet tea and opening it just right and positioning the straw as such. And, and look, you, you've, got, you've got a table for your nuggets. I mean, boom. I mean, who knew that, right? I mean, isn't that awesome? Now look, I, I believe that, that there are answers in the pages of Scripture and they've been here this whole time. And we've just missed them because we've become so comfortable with the stories that Luke shares in the book of Acts. Acts is Luke's continuation of Jesus' gospel story. He had previously written to the God-lover Theophilus in order to give an orderly account of the things that he, Luke, had investigated about Jesus. Luke wanted Theophilus to have confidence in what was being shared about the Galilean carpenter that had turned rabbi. So he compiles his gospel in order that Theophilus will have a certainty in who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And then he goes about and he writes a follow-up volume in order to show what happened when, when broken, sinful, dismantled lives were taken by Jesus and transformed and empowered. And Luke says, I want to tell you what happened when this tiny, small group of believers with a specific message about Jesus was released onto the world. In his gospel, Luke shares what Jesus did. In Acts, Luke shares what Jesus' people do. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now Luke begins volume number two, where volume one left off. Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead and is appearing to his followers, giving them convincing proofs that he really is Jesus. And for about a month and a half, he spends his time answering the now what question. He's instructing them what a resurrected life in God's kingdom looks like. And his resurrection inspires them. And the spirit we're going to read later empowers them. And this small group starts in Jerusalem and begins to spread their influence and their message from town to town and province to province. Their impact was so forceful that when two members of their group, you might know them as Paul and Silas, well, when they arrived in Thessalonica, some 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem, the city officials said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And here's what I want you to think about for just a minute. Consider for a moment, what if there was no resurrection? 
What if the final memory his followers had was that of Jesus' dead body hanging on a Roman cross? I mean, certainly they would be disappointed, right? I mean, think about giving three and a half years of your life to a pursuit only to have it end in failure. I mean, you come to the end of your college years only to be told there is no degree. You wasted your time. I mean, you can understand, right, why some of Jesus' followers walked home after the crucifixion discouraged. We get it. Uh, but if there was no resurrection, if there was no resurrection, then you would probably anticipate Jesus' followers to memorialize him in some way. I mean, that seems to be the natural response to someone who is deemed special. Perhaps they would collect some of his best sayings and, and write them down and put them in a book in order to remember Perhaps they would erect a monument of some type in his honor, a, a place where they and others can, can come listen to his teachings and remember his life. You know, in truth, an unresurrected Jesus, I think, is easier to believe in. I mean, he's easier to handle. Put some words on a t-shirt, stop by his memorial ever so often. An unresurrected Jesus places few demands and makes no claims on a person's life. You see, it is the resurrection that makes Jesus dangerous. If there was a resurrection, then Jesus is who he claimed to be, God. And if he is God, then I cannot just visit with him on occasion and walk away unchanged. I can't pick through what I like most about his teachings and discard those things that challenge my priorities and my biases. If Jesus is God, then he gets all of me. If Jesus is not God, I mean, then why bother? I mean, why are you even spending the time watching this video? You see, I, I'm afraid that too many today are following a dead teacher instead of serving a living God. Luke said, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. This is what Jesus began to do, he says. And, and I think we can infer, I, I don't think it's too big of a leap to say that what Jesus began, well, we are intended to continue and build upon. Scripture time and again shows us that the living God is still at work in this world and that he's working in us and through us. Do you believe that? When they killed Jesus, it was like, and I, I recently heard this illustration, it was like thinking you can kill a dandelion by pulling it up by its stalk and blowing off all the seeds. What happened to Christianity when Jesus died and the world thought they were rid of him? He multiplied a thousand times over. His seeds scattered everywhere through people. Now, I want you to think about yourself as one of those little seedlings floating on the air, blown about by the wind of the Spirit. And where you land, you germinate and you grow. Do you see yourself that way? Because that is how Jesus sees you. He sees you continuing what He began. It's why He spent 40 days or that, that perfect amount of time teaching His followers about the kingdom of God. Our lives are to bear witness to what happens when broken and sinful, dismantled lives are taken by Jesus and transformed and empowered. The world is put on notice that the status quo is no longer going to be acceptable. A kingdom representative has come to town. A believer in Jesus has moved in. Is that how you see yourself? I hope it is. See, if Jesus is resurrected, then his followers should act like it. It should be seen in the way we treat others, it's the way we spend our money, schedule our time, and raise our family. It should be noticed by the, the words we speak and the tone in which we speak them. It should be evident in how we face the future and live right now in the present. 
It should be acknowledged by where we center our priorities. If Jesus is resurrected, then he is God and, and he gets all of me. And I can't refuse his influence on any part of my beliefs or actions. He becomes the filter through which I, I view my career, my relationships, my marriage, and my theology. He dictates my response on everything from social media to social justice. If he is resurrected, then he lays claim to my life. And if not, then why bother? So, so here is something I want you to think about over the next few days. What impact has the resurrection of Jesus made on your life? Do you live differently because Jesus lives eternally? If Jesus is just some fashionable guru with, with some cool sayings, then go ahead and buy a t-shirt and, and wear an initial bracelet. But if Jesus is who Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John claim him to be, the risen living Lord, then followers of Jesus must act like it. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, I think you live like the resurrection is real. You live as if Jesus is God and he has a kingdom claim on your life. Luke's writings and Acts describe a people in transition who are asking, well, now what? Now what do we do as believers in a living Jesus? His history of those early believers covers about a 30-year time period. And those 30 years would be a time of great transition and loss. But the Jesus believers in Acts, those now what people, they discovered and lived an amazing truth. The power that raised Jesus will empower you. I pray we will have a similar discovery. And I pray that we will act like it. As we close out our time together, I want to simply thank you for the honor and privilege of serving as, as your preacher for the last 10 years. I'm grateful to the elders of 2010, Thomas Cole, Dr. Tommy Hayes, Ernie Hedgecourth, Johnny Robertson, Ron Rogers, Bill Sampson, and Bob White for offering my family the opportunity to share in the life of this church. We have received from you much more than we have given. I've always desired that you think of me as your friend before you think of me as your preacher. I never wanted to be viewed as the hired hand brought in by the elders to accomplish a certain task. And though in a congregation our size it is difficult to build a relationship with everyone, I am so very thankful for the individuals and families with whom I have shared life over the last decade. I've attempted through my preaching and teaching to offer new ways of looking at familiar subjects. I've tried to challenge you to turn away from the status quo, the, the accepted way of doing religion, and, and consider what a more vibrant, spirit-led walk with God could look like. More than anything, I've tried to make God real and His Word applicable to you and in a hope that you would respond to Him. My style and approach have been unique to me, and, and I appreciate your patience when something I have said or done did not fit your vision of what a preacher should say or do. And speaking of patience, I am grateful for the amount afforded me by our elders and staff. East Brainerd is blessed with godly shepherds who are committed to, to our spiritual well-being. And I am humbled that they continue to entrust me with such an important role. And our staff, man, our staff is made up of talented and spirit-led men and women, and it is a joy to be part of their ministry team. I also want to say thank you on behalf of my family 
You, you have allowed my wife and children to have their own identity within this church. Tanya is not known, nor has she ever been treated as the preacher's wife. And Emily and Micah have not had to worry about being labeled as PKs. And you will never know how important that has been to the health of my family and my ministry. In July of 2010, I, I did not imagine thanking you in July of 2020 via a recorded video like this one. It's just one of the many roads that we did not see coming but have traveled together. I am grateful for where we have been and, and I am excited about where God is leading us. Thank you for letting me be your friend and preacher for the last 10 years. Now give me two claps and a Ric Flair. Woo! Have a great week, everybody.